You are listening to the audio edition of Unstoppable Farce, The Mitch Maloney Story, by Mitch Maloney, read by the author. Chapter 5 The King of Hijinks It's great to see you here again, Janine. Thanks so much for coming to Velvet Crush, Zack. Oh, is that what you call this? asks Zack. Because based on the people here tonight, I thought it must be called the Comedy Circle His tone is so perfectly deadpan, I think for a moment he might actually be confused. Ha ha, Zack, says David. I think it's totally cool of Mitch to let us FCs work out our material in a safe and luxuriously textured place. I love hanging out at the Velveteria. Janine does the finger-down-the-throat move, and I get where she's coming from. David can be such an apple polisher sometimes, it makes me want to puke, too. Did I miss the memo or something? asks Janine. I know I am an infamously disconnected technophobe, but are ironic velvet paintings back in style? I thought that flavor of kitsch ended in the 90s. I believe irony is a flat donut, adds Patton with a smirk. Um, yeah, thanks for that one, Patton. Nevertheless, I make a mental note to ask him to sign my copies of Zombie Spaceship Wasteland and Silver Screen Fiend later. I decide not to ask David to sign why I drink. The truth is, the sadistic side of me doesn't want him to know that I've read it. Maria asks if I ever play the real clubs in town. I tell her I played them a bunch of times back in the dues pain chapter of my career, which was chapter three in case you missed it. Maria nods, bugs out her eyes, and purses her lips real serious-like which I guess means she's up to speed on Chapter 3. The thing is, Maria, these days, every time I get up in front of a mixed audience, some Yahoo chucklehead at some point screams out, Do Wade! or Diagonalium Forever! And as soon as I hear that, I'm done. Besides, my agent says the idea that comics need to work out their material in front of a bunch of civilians is overrated. Really, says Sarah, leaning in and looking confused. Well, that certainly goes against conventional wisdom. She's right, of course. I'd set out to be a comedian for the people, not just a comedian's comedian. And now here I am, telling jokes at my own alt-comedy night in my own personal black velvet art gallery for an audience made exclusively of yuck peddlers from the alt-comedy scene of the 90s. People like Janine, David, Bob, Sarah, Maria, Dana, Todd, and Zach. Once my heroes, now my peers and close friends. Don't get me wrong, I'm having a blast hanging out with them. But sometimes I wonder if all this is just a distraction from the big prize. Like Whitney Cummings once said, about snowboarding specifically, but also about life in general. 
you go where you look. And note one. Right now, instead of keeping focused on the top of that mountain of comedy greatness, my eyes are focused instead on making friends and playing it safe. But hey, for now, here we are. Let the wisecrackery commence. Who's got jokes? Sarah, you want to kick it off? Not even 20 minutes later, it happens. The nightmare of any business owner in Lipstick City in the mid-2020s. A smash and grab. Heavy on the smash. Patton's got the mic, and he's rambling on about cereal boxes from his childhood or some such drivel. The little bell at the entrance makes a tinkle. Patton trails off, and the laughter dies down. Everybody's eyes go to the front door. Shafts of streetlight form a strange silhouette of a menacing figure. Guy in a tan suit jacket and an open collar. He's got a crowbar and something on his head. A hood? Am I being menaced by the clan? No, that isn't the right shape of hood. It's a rectangle, and it's brown. It's a paper sack with three circles cut out over the eyes and the mouth. He menacingly runs the curved, forky part of the crowbar across a large Tahitian dancing girl, slowly tearing into the fabric. Take whatever you want, I say. Just don't hurt any of these FCs, I beg of you. These people are national treasures. And also my peers and close friends. You think I care about these crappy paintings? Says the baghead as he bashes up an oversized dogs playing poker. One of my favorites. While he's distracted, I quietly lead Janine and the others towards a hidden exit in the back. And by the time the baghead pulls himself out of the smashed frame of a crying Elvis Presley, we're the only people in the place. Please, I beg him, whatever this is, I'm sure we can work it out. He comes right over and pulls back his arm, stiffens his hand and lines it up with my cheek. I just stand there in shock, helpless and trembling. The open palm swings toward me like a lawn sprinkler rotor with enough force that it knocks me to the ground. He leans over and says sinisterly, These people that you got performing here for free, they have certain obligations. I know that voice. He continues, There are other places where they should be working. Places like the factory or the store. Capiche? And that goes double for you, Maloney. What you're doing here? It's a distraction. It needs to stop. And if it doesn't, well, consider this a warning. He steps on my wrist, twisting up the backside of my left arm, which he clobbers hard with the crowbar three times, sending electric shocks all over the left side of my body. As I'm fading into unconsciousness, I see the baghead striding away, leaving me twisted in a puddle of my own urine. A couple of days later, I'm in the waiting room at the doctor's office, visoring with Gabby on my new model dunce phone. She's updating me on the talks with HBO about our various pitches for development. Well, what did they think about Maloney's baloney? Nah, 
to vaudeville, she says. They still feel burned about that whole Conan debacle. So Variety is out. Sure, I get it. How about the cooking show, I ask? Mitch's Kitchen? Well, the VP of Marketing sounded pretty into it, but the consensus was that it didn't play into your strengths. How about the advice show? Quit your Mitchin? No, they just signed that girl from Jeopardy for a very similar concept. What's that called? Matea Roach, the lifestyle coach. Hmm. How about Mitch's mix-up? Sorry, Mitch. Not everyone gets to have their own travel show. Saturated market. But that only leaves... That piece of sitcom idea we threw in there that you said was just to cover our bases. I know you're not so crazy about the sitcom thing, but believe me, when you hear the names of your co-stars, you'll be over the moon, I promise. A receptionist comes over and tells me that Dr. Jong is ready to see me, so I log off with Gabby and head back to the examining room. The doctor is already in there, looking over my charts. He jumps right into it. You've sustained tremendous damage to your ulnar nerve. In fact, you may never recover full sensation in your little finger again. And it's going to take a few weeks to recover from the shattered humerus. Hey, Doc, give it to me straight. Do you think having a busted funny bone means it's going to be harder for me to tell jokes? Don't be ridiculous, he says, and I suddenly realize how dumb that actually sounded. Any idea who did this to you, he asks. Well, the voice sounded familiar, but I couldn't quite place it. He said these comedians should be working at the factory or the store, so my best guess is that he's some sort of enforcement thug for anti-comedy industrial capitalists, like the factory foremen and retail merchants desperate to expand their labor supply. Dr. Jong looks at me real serious. That makes sense, he says. Anyway, I'm writing you a prescription for Flavum Sardonic Zone. That should help you get through the recovery. Wait, Doc, you don't mean yellow onyx. That's what they call it on the street, says Dr. Jong. Doc, I've smoked bushels of reefer and been a pretty serious booze hound for most of my life. That's consistent with what's in your charts and what I can see for myself, says the Doc. But I always figured there was one thing I have to steer clear of. Those damn pain pills. I've seen them take down too many people. Heroes of mine. Friends. Relatives. Hell, half the people you see just wandering around now, it seems. It's good that you're on guard against addiction, Mitch. Because you're right. Yellow Onyx is extremely addictive. And you'll understand why once you've started using it. That's why it's very important that once your prescription runs out, you don't turn to the streets or your Hollywood connections to get any more of it. Sounds reasonable, I say. You should also be aware that common side effects include dry mouth, loose bowels, and dissociative identity disorder. Good to know, I say, and give him the finger gun salute. Anything else, Doc? Well, you are aware that I haven't been a practicing physician for several years, right? I know that, Doc, and I really appreciate you agreeing to see me like this. At this point in my career, well, 
I just don't think I would be comfortable being examined by a non-FC, you know? I get it completely, says Dr. Jung. Now, let's go get you some of those pills. The sensei is speaking. I see a lot of new faces here tonight. In keeping with the protocols of Judah's dojo, I surmise that everyone here has done at least a few open mics. A wave of light laughter goes through the gym, which is chock-a-block full of A-list FCs, plus some B-pluses. Maybe a C or two, but every face has a name, if you know what I mean. The sensei continues, I also assume that you know the basic story of Komido Defendu, that it was developed by the grandmasters during their travels in the east. He gestures to the posters on the wall of sensei's rock and chapelle. In Hong Kong, they sat at the foot of the legendary Fang Shilong and learned the Hapkido principle of Yu, or flowing water. In Ryogoku, Japan, they studied balance and momentum from the Yokozunu of the Grand Sumo. In the Vale of Kashmir, they learned the erratic, repetitive, face-smacking techniques of Pakistani slap kabaddi. And in the offices of top crisis management firms from the Upper West Side of Manhattan Island, they refined their strategies for manipulating crowd psychology and media relations in the immediate aftermath of an on-stage assault. What makes this dojo different from the dozens of others in the greater Los Angeles area is that I've combined orthodox Komido Defendu with my own principles of self-offense. And note two. I glance to my left and make eye contact with David Cross. He shoots me a sympathetic half-smile that says it all. After all, he was there that night six months ago at the Velveteria, the night that brought me to Judah's dojo in the first place. A little later, I pair up with Whitney Cummings during partner work to practice high-kick deflections. By the look on her face, I'd guess she's thinking about snowboarding. I try my best to use her words against her, to go where I'm looking too, but I'm still a long way from 100%. Plus, I got blurry barnacles from the pills. Fortunately, my prescription's almost finished now, so that's something I won't need to worry about for much longer. When we're cooling down, Whitney says to me, Is it true that you got attacked by the unknown comic? Well, I got attacked by an unknown comic. I explained that Murray Langston, the original bag-headed jokester from the gong show, would be in his 80s now, and judging by the way that guy was brandishing his crowbar, he wasn't no octo-Bulgarian. Mitch, I really hate to break in here. What is it, Darberius? You didn't like the way I said brandishing? No, no, that's fine. Uh, but I think the word at the end is supposed to be octogenarian. It sounded like you said... Octo-Bulgarian? Mm-hmm. Let me ask you a question, Darberius. Sure, go ahead. Do you think a guy in a suit with a paper sack on his head holding a crowbar would look like a half-octopus, half-Bulgarian? I, I suppose not. 
then I guess my statement was aggregate. Wouldn't you agree? I suppose that would be aggregate, Mitch. So go ahead. Thank you. After class, in the parking lot, me and the other FCs are filing out of the dojo, putting on our baseball hats and mirrored sunglasses as we walk towards our vehicles. Rob Schneider, unsurprisingly, is close on my tail. How does it feel to be the king of hijinks, Mitch? Is that what you heard? I ask sincerely as someone else chimes in. You know that hijinks is a subdivision of RT Media, right? It's basically a Russian propaganda operation. It's the confident voice of a Parna Nonchurla a few paces behind us. Big deal, says Schneider. All the media is lying to you anyway. I trust the Russians as much as Dunst TV. Aparna and I exchange a glance. Schneider's brand of quips never really rocked my boat, but as far as I knew, he was no Yahoo. Hey Mitch, maybe we could hang out sometime, says Schneider. Maybe you can give me a few pointers on how to be a big star with the kids. I'll be on late at the Laugh Factory tonight if you want to drop by. With that, Schneider climbs into his black Maserati convertible and fires up the engine. Nonchurla puts her hand on my forearm and gets real serious. Look, Maloney, it's not that your hijinxes aren't hilarious. They are. Nobody's debating that. But have you heard of irony poisoning? Rings a bell, I say. It's when the joke becomes real and people start doing things that are immoral because of deep-seated cynicism. You're creating legitimate diagonalists, or whatever they're called whether that's your intent or not. I tell her, Aparna, don't worry. I got a plan. Trust me. I hope so, she says. If you want to talk about it a little more, come check out my set at the comedy store later. Maybe it would be good for me to go back to the comedy store, or maybe the Laugh Factory. She climbs onto her black Ducati 900SS. Nice ride, I tell her. Thanks, Maloney. What are you driving? I got the refurbished 1972 Greyhound bus in the back of the lot. Greyhound bus? No kidding. You're really doing it your own way, aren't you, Maloney? It's the only way I know. The truth is, I don't have a plan. Not really. That's what Gabby's for, right? In fact, I can barely remember making those hijinks videos. All I know is it seemed like a good idea when I was zonked out on Yellow Onyx. I've never been much of a planner. Like Sebastian Maniscalco put it, what motivates and fuels me is looking down at my feet and putting one in front of the other. And note three. Fish, sticks, and trail mix. I know who that baghead was. This audio edition of Unstoppable Farce, The Mitch Maloney Story, was made possible by the Seventh Reformed Church of Latter-day Witnesses, The Bleepers. <laughs>